Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. A little bit later in the program, we might start breaking the song as I remind you of the song. And no, I'm not going to sing it. I'm too sexy. Remember that, right, said Fred? Well, Paul McGowan is a guy who is a fearless, cancelled British artist, a fashion prodigy, who's someone who challenges with these edgy, politically charged artworks and whatever. Well, he has been banned off Twitter. And, of course, now that Elon Musk is in charge of what is now known as X, there are people such as uh, the group, or certainly the singer, from Right Said Fred, who is advocating that we get people like Paul McGowan back. So we're going to be talking to Paul McGowan. We're going to find out the reasons that he isn't currently on X.com and why we need to get him back. And I think that will be very interesting. We'll be doing that later this hour. Alistair Pope, an Army veteran, a project management expert. We're going to be chatting with him about the AUKUS deal, what it means for you, what it means for me, and uh, for those listening in the US as well, how we can uh, serve you, I think is the the term, probably not a great deal for Australia, probably not even a good deal for the UK, but I dare say the US will probably do pretty well out of AUKUS. Someone will, and it certainly won't be us, the taxpayer. Uh, I'll also be talking to solicitor Anthony Cox, who was former secretary of the Climate Change Skeptics Party. We're going to be talking to him about COP28. We're going to be talking to him about a whole bunch of things that are happening with renewables here in Australia. And I'd love his take on the new Queensland premier. I'll probably have to suggest he takes a stemotil before he brings that up, because it really is hard to imagine that only days in, this guy is absolutely horrific. And there will be people, myself included, almost begging to get Anastasia Palaszczuk back. He is really already showing himself to be just that bad. Absolutely no common sense. Absolutely no regard with the economy of not just Queensland, but Australia, because their debt is our debt ultimately, is it not? Um, something I'd really like to talk about, and I've asked people in the online chat to uh, participate. I can't help but watch the Just Stop Oil protesters, but not the YouTube videos where they kind of succeed, the ones where they get arrested, where they get dragged off the road, the ones where the people win, not them, the people win, the ones where they walk down the street and people are throwing buckets of God knows what onto them. I, I quite often wonder what was in that couple of buckets of water. But um, I, I've got a couple of ideas and I wonder if you do too, because if I live there and we don't have them here, certainly not to the extent we have them over there in the UK, you have to deal with them, all of you people listening in the UK, you must be absolutely at at the end of your tether when it comes to these people. But there's got to be some ways that if we are as motorists prepared for them, we can do things that I would suggest are legal. If the police aren't going to do what they need to do, maybe motorists need to take it into their hands. Now, it occurred to me, I don't know whether they're legal over in, in the UK, they're not here but it doesn't stop anybody from installing one, nor the local parts shop from selling them. I'm talking about air horns. Remember the Dukes of Hazard when they jumped the General Lee over a couple of cars or a bridge that was out? You know, you, oh, I'm not going to do the sound, you know the sound. Air horns, what are they, about 110 decibels? Could you imagine sitting, blocking the road, if all four cars in all four lanes at the front had air horns, 
and you could have them whistling Dixie and just held, held the horn in. I mean, you can only sit there for so long. You can only take so much punishment. But, um, you know, I've got people writing in regards to me asking them, how do we stop? This is the question I posed on the online chat. Hello, Tribe, by the way. Hello, everybody. After your suggestions for individuals to deal with just stop oil protesters in the UK, ones that you could accomplish legally, legally and without doing any kind of permanent harm. And I've got Boiler Rumors commented, uh, come on, bro, it's deeper uh, than that. We're all just plaintiffs before the altar. Your employers still stand in your, our way. Well, certainly not when it comes to this. What we have to do is get rid of these people. Now, why are the police doing nothing? Why are some of the magistrates not only not doing their job, but giving them a pat on the back? Well, that was rhetorical. Yes, I do know. If the magistrate wasn't in court, they'd probably be gluing themselves to the road right next to them. In fact, they probably do that in their time off on the weekend. But uh, we need to see some mandatory minimum jail sentences. These people won't succumb otherwise to your will. And the fact that they rock up there and almost every part of them rocking up involves oil from the, the plastic on their shoes from their parts of their shoelaces, the clothes they wear, the vehicles that I would suggest many of them actually did rock up in. These people are blatant hypocrites. They are cretins and they are just absolutely, you know, the lights are on, but nobody is home. I, I shouldn't do that in front of my camera. It, it sets my camera off and tells it to do things when I wave my hand around, but I've turned that off. Anyway, the point being, um, I just want you to give me some suggestions through the program. I will read them out as to how you think we can combat these just stop oil protesters when the police aren't going to do anything. And of course, the one person that I absolutely will be asking about that is Gemma Cooper imminently. But, you know, they, they I like the countries where they just literally just drag them away. Uh, in America, they've really dealt with them quite harshly quite a few times. And I'm very appreciative of the way that they have been doing that. Anyway, we're going to uh, have a short interlude and then we're going to be back with Gemma Cooper for a chat. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, Jim, and how would you deal? What would you do with these just up oil protesters? And have you been impacted by them personally? I, I can't resist it, Dean. I have got to do the sound. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> diddle -do, diddle -do, diddle -do, diddle -do. Oh, my God. I remember that from my childhood. The Dukes of Hazard. I, I'm I'm a real advocate of that one. Let's let's get all the cars lined up, just blasting them with some kind of Chinese audio torture until they just voluntarily unglue themselves from the road and go right. You win. We're going home with to a resounding chorus of diddle do diddle 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 do. I mean, it's just genius. It's genius. Defeated you, by the car. Brilliant. You've inspired me. Now I, I want to call up Daisy Duke. I want to get a Dodge Charger and possibly even jump a few of them. Maybe we could set up a ramp. And if it doesn't work, well, sorry. But, um, you know, <laughs> Mr. Oh. oh, yeah, I was well-intentioned. I was trying to get over them. They shouldn't be on the road. Anyway, anything that happens to you that is adverse, when you're sitting in the middle of a road, I mean, I think it comes down to you. I, I think it's your problem. It's your fault. And uh, I have no sympathy for them, and I have no sympathy for the ones who get dragged off the road at all. And, I mean, surely... You must enjoy as much as I do watching those videos of people getting around them and outsmarting them. Obviously, a motorbike is the most successful uh, way of doing it. And I would just um, 
<laughs> no, no, he bites his tongue before he suggests what he would do on a motorbike. But uh, yeah, have you been personally impacted though on, on your way to work or do you not live anywhere near where that happens? No, I've not been personally impacted by any Just Stop Oil protests at all or Extinction Rebellion either, but um, they certainly aren't winning hearts and minds because what they do, they don't they don't really um, influence any corporate policy whatsoever or corporate kind of workings, day-to-day -day workings. What they do do is inconvenience their fellow 99% man, man and woman of the population who are trying to go about their normal day. They're trying to, you know, eke out a living. They're trying to feed their families. They're trying to sort of exist within the matrix. And the only people that get inconvenienced are the very people we should be standing shoulder to shoulder with. We shouldn't be dividing each other. We're, we're the 99% on the bottom and we should be working together. But all they do is create division and, and, and stop people just trying to go about their normal day. And the corporations carry on regardless. They don't affect them whatsoever, whatsoever at all. Um, that's where they're really beginning to break down the, the level of support and also doing things like, you know, um, attacking art and and things yeah. like that. Oh, What's, what, yeah. On, yeah. What on earth has that got to do uh, with oil, except for the fact that some of these old masters in the in the National Portrait Gallery and the National Gallery are, are painted with oil, you know, but that, that that's really kind of such a juvenile approach. Um, but it is breaking down. It's breaking down. But I, I still think let's take a Duke of Hazard approach to it and uh, look how successful <laughs> the Dukes of Hazard were. They were always solving problems and they were smarter than the cops. So let let's take a let's take a Duke of Luke and Luke and Bo Duke approach to this problem. I think is the is the way forward. Stranger things well, have happened. We'll have to talk to Roscoe P. Coltrane at some point. I would imagine. <laughs> uh, sorry for hijacking you. And please, if you have to do the do 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 thing again. Um, breaking news. What's happening, Gemma? Yeah, I'll, I'll spare anyone any, my, uh, my, my, my impression. <laughs> That's it. We're done now. It's Friday. Um, well, today in the UK, um, it's a result of the, the arrests that were made in Europe yesterday in Germany and Denmark and the Netherlands, uh, this alleged Hamas plot to kill Jewish people in Europe. Um, the, the police in lockstep arrested seven people. Uh, the German police said four of those were definitely Hamas. Uh, allegedly, they were under orders to buy a cache of weapons um, in and take it to Berlin with the aim of attacking Jewish institutions. Now, the three de uh, suspects arrested in Denmark are due to be appearing in court today. It'll be a closed session. Um, but what's happened here, of course, is um, UK security agencies are now very, very worried that this, this plot could spread here to the UK. Uh, the Community Security, I think it's the Community Security Trust, who, which look after Jewish people and Jewish institutions here have said that this news has really worrying implications for the UK and the whole of Europe. British and Western intelligence are warning that the conflict in the Middle East has now increased the risk of terror attacks. Now, Europe has been on high alert since October the 7th, unsurprisingly, but the Community Security Trust has said this morning, Historically, Hamas has never shown any interest in carrying out attacks outside Israel. Uh, this represents a significant shift in policy, the arrests that we saw yesterday in Germany, Denmark and the Netherlands. Um, and it's a big concern if Hamas is now ordering terror attacks across Europe. Now, the reason I bring this to the table is, you know, at the start of this conflict, Israel said, this is our 9-11. 
Yeah. But if you remember the stringent security measures that were then brought in all across the world in relation to travel, you know, airports, which which used to be very pleasant places to travel, now resemble something akin to prison camps uh, when you go through them. They're not nice places at all. That's a direct result of what happened in 9-11. You know, we, the world completely changed uh, as a result of that and was never the same again. I wonder if the parallels are going to be like this, because if you tell Europe there's an increased terror risk, if the military and security agencies start to get very twitchy, what do you have? You then have new measures brought in, restrictions on movement because of a heightened terror possibility, you know, because Hamas have never done this kind of thing before. And what I find interesting is that, that all these arrests were carried out in lockstep yesterday, very well orchestrated in three different countries. They all did press conferences at the same time saying, you know, this terror attack is imminent. Uh, we foiled it. Uh, the, the, the mood in Denmark has never been more frightened. Danish police patrols have been set up all to create this kind of problem reaction solution of, well, if Hamas are going to attack in Europe on the UK, something must be done. So I wonder if we're seeing this kind of creeping uh, march towards, you know, new security measures, maybe restrictions on travel. Um, you know, the conflict shows no sign of going away, despite the the, the ceasefire vote. Um, and I wonder if the 9-11 thing that was announced right at the start of this conflict, it means we we're going to see a lot of changes in the world globally as a result of this. But certainly this morning in the UK, uh, intelligence agencies are very twitchy and they're saying, well, there's no direct link to the UK yet of these arrests yesterday. It's an ever-present possibility that Hamas could do something on British soil. Yeah, well, as I said yesterday, these Hamas people, they might have rockets, but they're certainly not rocket scientists. But I mean, here they are plotting against these Jewish individuals outside of that region and if they know Netanyahu, as I think I do, if they would have been successful in those attacks, that would have just resulted in many, many more casualties over in Gaza. So unless their ultimate goal is to try and make the Israelis look worse or they are simply trying to get their own people killed, I can't imagine what their point is because they're not going to accomplish anything but that. Yeah, and, and you have to wonder as well, you know, what we're, what we're p presented with and what the truth is are often so vastly diametrically oh, yes. opposed when it comes to the mainstream. Um, and these arrests were carried out. You know, you've got one arrest in the Netherlands yesterday, three arrests in Germany, three arrests in Denmark. Police patrols stepped up in Denmark. Press conferences issued in all those different countries at the same time. It's very well orchestrated, isn't it? And it's designed, obviously, to create some kind of climate of fear within the European community and in the UK of the possibility of Hamas attacks. So therefore, you know, you've got people almost demanding if you think a certain way, you know, if you're very kind of believing of what you see in the mainstream, you'd be demanding, well, the UK security agencies must do something. The Danish security agencies must do something. The governments must do something. You must protect us from terror attacks in Europe, from Hamas. You know, it's it's got problem reaction solution written all over it um, on, a, on a deeper level. And I thought it was very interesting straight away how Israel said, this is our 9-11. Because if it's their 9-11, they'll know possibly an inside job. That's my personal take on that statement. But 9-11 had so many implications for, for the rest of the world, didn't it? Things were never the same again after that day. And it looks like that this could be going the same way. Yeah, and when it comes to 9-11 being an inside job, don't get me started. That's a, that's a conversation I think we should have another day. Gemma Cooper, thank you for bringing us all the latest news. We appreciate you very much. You'll be back in a, a couple of hours. And, of course, I'll see you next Monday, and I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you have a terrific weekend. Thank you, Dean. You too.
And I hope you lot aren't going anywhere. Stick around. I'm going to be talking to solicitor Anthony Cox about the climate madness here at TNT right after this. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do. On today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. My next guest, somebody I've been immensely familiar with for more than a decade. I've been having regular chats with him. His name is Anthony Cox, former secretary of the Climate uh, Skeptics uh, party is what, what I was going for. And uh, a man who, when it comes to the the absolute nonsense they would have us believe, he's all across it. He understands it from a legal perspective, and he's been working against it for a lot of years. Uh, how are you, my friend, Anthony Cox? Really good, mate. And uh, wasn't it a spectacle in Dubai recently with COP28? Do you know there was over a thousand private planes jetting these billionaires, these elitists, like John Kerry, et cetera, who great, take great pleasure in telling the rest of us that we should be living in caves and eating cockroaches. The hypocrisy of it all. Yeah, oh, mate, it is. It's a hypocrisy on steroids. Uh, and, of course, the, the guy running the show, not really believing in it at all. I think most of them jetting over to do side deals, to do deals that they are personally going to profit from at our expense. That guy you're talking about, he was the UAE Sultan Al Jabra, I think. Jabbar, yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Jabbar, uh, uh, president of a cop, and uh, he had a couple of great sound bites that must have sent a sh- Well, I don't think anything can penetrate, and I'll speak about Bowen's nicknames later on because a new one has emerged. You're oh, you've got another one besides Blackout Bowen. What? What is it? It's called Casanova Bowen. <laughs> and I'm scared uh, to ask. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you remember Casanova? Everything he touched here, you can fill in the rest, and it's the same ah, with yes. Bowen. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes. But uh, Blackout Bowen, uh, we'll stick with the alliteration, I think, but if you're stuck and you can't remember, Casanova as well. I, I just can't get over him. But only Al Jabir, uh, the president of COP, uh, said, of course, that if we stop using coal, we'll literally go back to the caves, and there's no scientific proof that giving up fossils 
uh, will limit the temperature increase is if humans can cause or put a ceiling on temperature increase. The science behind this garbage is just absolute. It's been shot through. It's, it's Swiss cheese, literally. Yeah. And it, it was almost astounding to hear this guy at this meeting full of these idiots like John Kerry, who is a true believer, a true hypocrite as well, uh, this guy to come out and say this. Uh, uh, the other big takeaway from me was the 30 countries who are going to go down the nuclear road and want a tripling of nuclear, uh, what, in the next five or so years. And, of course, Bowen, we know what his views are. Uh, about nuclear as well. He, on, on every point, major point that was raised over there, what this Al Jabir was uh, talking about and the nuclear meeting, uh, Bowen's, he's not even out of left field, he's right out of the, you know, he's down in the gully three kilometres from the playing pitch. Yeah, I did notice that uh, it was said in the media by the ABC that many in the Pacific Islands didn't feel that they had been represented. Then I had a look at those who were represented, representing them, and they were certainly not native to those particular islands. And uh, again, only because they didn't feel it went far enough. You know, here they were wanting fossil fuels completely phased out rather than just winding them down a tad. And mate, that seems to be the general theme that those who went there, those of the left who really wanted a resounding wind back uh, to the point of no fossil fuels, they left very disappointed. So uh, is that a minor win for us? Uh, yeah, well, it is. You know, it's incremental. But the Pacific Islands, the words grifters comes to mind when you speak about these. And I don't know whether I mentioned this to you before. On the Bureau of Meteorology site, there is a section called, and I'll read this out, it's called the Pacific Sea Level and Geodetic. That's just a fancy word. It's the Pacific Sea Level and Geodetic Monitoring Scheme. And the Bureau of Meteorology has been measuring around these islands. We're talking about Tuvalu, the Solomons, uh, Cook Islands, Fiji, all these islands up to the northeast of Australia, uh, including New Guinea, all of these islands which are supposedly sinking into the seas as they rise. And incidentally, Bowen and Albanese are going to try and get a subsequent COP meeting out here, which will feature the plight, the damage that climate change has been doing to these islands. But if you go over to the Bureau of Meteorology website, they've been conducting a major scientific test of sea level, sea temperature and air temperature around these islands since 1993. And if you go over to that website, the name that I just gave you, it's easy to read graphs, there's all sorts of data. And in every one of those three uh, elements, sea level, sea temperature and air temperature, around all these islands, which are supposedly sinking over the last 30 years, and that is a major program, that is a climatically significant period, nothing has changed. Yeah. No sea level rise, no sea temperature rise, no air temperature rise. But here we have Bowen, and not just him, of course. He seems to be a, a man who's very susceptible uh, to hysterics. And as I say, the leaders of these Pacific Islands have realised what side of the bread their butter is on, and they can, uh, you know, twitch the uh, blackmail of susceptible people like Bowen, the current government, and not just Bowen, but the current government, and they'll be given, you know, millions, tens of millions of dollars uh, because allegedly of, of climate change. And all one has to do, it just seems remarkable to me, to go to the Bureau of Meteorology, which is a government-run program, um, which shows that there's no climate change happening there on these islands at all. 
Mate, I'm going to ask you to speculate, and as a solicitor, probably not something I should ask you to do, but, mate, do you think Bowen, do you think he actually believes that there's a problem or do you just think he's another useful um, idiot who knows exactly what he's doing and he's, you know, got, got his hand out and he's going to do well by it, by succumbing to the narrative, if you will? I think he's a genuine idiot. I do. I think he's so, I, I think he's so arrogant that you see him when he speaks, he uses arrogance. And he is a man... Uh, because the climate change is superficially um, legitimate. If, if you look at it, uh, humans are spewing out CO2 from the burning of fossil fuels. Uh, we do put out a lot of uh, CO2 from the burning of fossil fuels and making cement, but compared to what nature puts out, it's insignificant. But if you just if someone whispers in his ear or has some credentials, I think he would be very susceptible to that because one of the things that these people who lead the charge for climate change uh, like John Kerry and the rest of them, it makes them look good. It strokes their egos. They go around the world and they're saying, literally, I'm saving the world. Aren't I important? And I really think that psychology operates amongst these people, including Bowen. So I think for those reasons, I, I think uh, on balance, he's probably genuine. It's all very interesting when, when you hear these nonsensical studies, such as the one I discussed last, last hour with Reverend Dr. Michael Sutton. There was a new study uh, basically saying that the methane and the nitrous oxide that you breathe out is harming the environment. And again, I, I just brought up the point, they must really hate us, you know, us, us oxygen thieves uh, on the planet. But I mean, they have got no regard for us, but they do want our money. That is one thing that I think we can all agree on. Money and power, mate. Uh, look, this is a typical, the, I mentioned the psychology. Uh, the left are very easy un to understand. I've never met a left-wing person who didn't think he was better, more virtuous, more intelligent than somebody else. And part of this is that they invent causes or great crusades that only they can cure. You know, you look at racism and the alphabet people, uh, and the big one, of course, is saving the planet. And they invent these causes, uh, and they are confected, uh, because man-made climate change, and I could regale you for, for hours about the science being faulty, it is a faulty, it is a disproven theory, but it's an invention that allows these people to stroke their egos. And I, I don't think you can underestimate how important it is to these people. Uh, you mentioned fi the finances are important, of course, and the finance, the amount of money that's involved in this is huge, but you shouldn't underestimate the psychology that's behind these. And, of course, you mentioned... Uh, the breathing out. Humans are literally CO2 factories. You've been told this yeah. fact um, that we breathe in air that has a concentration of CO2 of about 440 parts per million, which in geological terms is very slight. In the past, it's been much greater than that, the level of CO2 in the atmosphere. And if you look at greenhouses and the level of CO2 under which plants thrive, it's four or five times what we currently have. But we breathe in air with 440 parts per million and we breathe out air, depending on how fit you are. Mate, you look very fit there, I must say. Uh, you're probably breathing out air of about 6,000 to 8,000 parts per million concentration. So you are literally a carbon dioxide factory. So you get this element of misanthropy, of hating other humans that comes into it. And I've seen uh, advocates for climate change. John Holdren, for example, is a classic case. He was the scientific, scientific advisor uh, to Obama. Uh, when Obama, excuse me a minute, I've got something coming up on my screen there. Oh, I can't get rid of it, but uh, there it is. Um, John Holdren was the scientific advisor to Obama, and he advocated um, almost sterilisation programs to wow. limit the numbers of people on this planet. So at the very top of the chain, the political chain, 
hierarchy, you have people who literally want fewer humans on this planet. So you shouldn't underestimate uh, that element to it of misanthropy of hugging other humans. Well, mate, another form of hypocrisy is if those people believe there are too many on the on the planet, they probably yeah. should start with themselves, you know, and uh, set a trend. Mate, always appreciate you coming on here and uh, for uh, presenting us with some very inconvenient truths, uh, those that the left would find very inconvenient anyway, mm. and those, of course, that we appreciate uh, from you all the time. We'll do it again soon. Anthony Cox. Solicitor extraordinaire, we appreciate you and a bunch of people in the online chat who have missed you and I really appreciate you coming on the program today here at TNT Radio. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks, mate. We'll be back at TNT after the break. We're going to be talking to Alastair Pope. Stick around. Now, TNT Radio News. Uh-oh. Scandal. Huge news. This is very important. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The White House has confirmed President Biden was well aware of his son Hunter's plan to ignore this week's congressional subpoena. Donald Trump has accused President Biden of riding on the coattails of his success in the White House. We're now being told that we as humans are worsening the impacts of climate change simply by breathing. And as the war in Ukraine enters its 660th day, Russia claims to have thwarted yet another drone strike on Moscow. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. And welcome back to the program. I get again to speak to this fantastic fella. Alastair Pope is the person of whom I speak. Uh, an army veteran, a strategist, a project management expert. Alistair emigrated from Scotland, from Glasgow, in fact, to Perth after 20 years service. He retired from the Australian Army back in 1986 as a project manager uh, in the energy, oil and gas, biotechnology and telecommunications industries until his retirement age. Um, Alistair retains a keen interest in current affairs and, of course, in current military matters. And we are going to talk to Alistair Pope right now about AUKUS and all that it means to us here Oh, we're, we're still trying to get a hold of him. So uh, when we do get him, we'll be talking to him about AUKUS and how costly a commitment it certainly is to us, the submarines, technology that I don't know how viable it is now with all the new drone and unmanned uh, air and sea vehicles that we have. And I would suggest that wouldn't a submarine be a far better vehicle if it was unmanned because the whole point that it needs to be pressurised is solely to accommodate human beings when it goes under. So certainly I do think it would be one heck of a lot better if it was an un unmanned vessel. You could go a lot deeper. You could go a lot faster. You could probably stay down a hell of a lot, a lot longer. So that's uh, technology that we've got. Now, I do believe that we're imminently shall be talking to Alastair Pope. If you've got any questions you'd like me to ask uh, Alastair, you can pop them up in the chat. G'day, Alastair. How are you going? Good. Very well. Mate, you missed my my epic intro. I'm always very impressed when I get you on. When I read that bio, how could I not be impressed? I was just talking about AUKUS, mate, this costly commitment that we've got to buy these US submarines. And I was just saying, I'm not sure how effective they are against all the latest unmanned uh, technology that we have. And would the future of sub, you know, submariners not be without submariners? So, sorry, so again, without submariners and having unmanned vehicles under the sea, wouldn't that be a more sensible approach? Absolutely. And in fact, uh, I'd like you to predict if you were sort of around riding a horse around in the battlefields of World War One, what 20 years hence would actually look like. 
when, of course, uh, tanks were the queen of the battlefield and Blitzkrieg was the in thing. No one sort of predicted, or a lot of people actually, the German army did predict that and some people in the British army. But what we're looking at here is what is undersea warfare going to look like in 20 years' time? I, I did look it up, actually. Um, I, followed, I, I know a little bit about AUKUS, but I looked it up there and it tells me that we're not even thinking about getting the first submarine until 2032. And that's just well, one, that's one on loan. Yeah. And, and by the way, that technology, it, it, the, the one they're going to give us is the Block 4, which um, was actually um, commissioned in... Um, they, they were actually commissioned actually in 2000... Oh, I've got the date here somewhere. Wait a minute. It was commissioned in uh, 2014. So we'll be getting about an 18-year-old submarine. And, of course, they will upgrade it. And we're up to Block 4. And eventually, the Virginia class will have seven blocks, each with great improvements on it. Um, but you have to go back and keep uh, sort of uh, upgrading the ones that you had before. Um, I, look, I looked at some of the problems, actually. The Virginia is not a bad boat. Um, I mean, I wouldn't let my children go on it. But uh, And where is it going to operate? So when you look at it, we're going to get a fairly old submarine by 2032, maybe, which we're unable to crew because we can't get enough crews for our own Collins-class submarines. Um, so where are we going to get the crew, which is double the size of the current crew? So we've got, we roughly put about um, 45 to 50 people on a boat. This, these things actually sail around with 120. So where are we going to get these extra people? Um, to actually crew these three boats, which would uh, actually completely outnumber the number of crews that we've got for the Collins class. It, it sounds very much, I don't know why I'm reminded of it, but this push for electric vehicles, for example, and it works on a very small scale, but let's just scale it up to the point where they need it to be. It doesn't make any sense. It's unsustainable. It's unrealistic. It's going to cost too much. It's going to uh, shorten all our supplies of lithium and other very heavy metals that we need for other things long term. And, mate, I would suggest, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, I mean, we're seeing deployed over in the Ukraine at the moment, drones are being used, these very cheap but extremely effective and small weapons are the way of the future. And, again, I will say it again, cheap and effective, and here we are, billions of dollars committed to second-hand items that probably are almost outdated today. Wow. And it's going to be 2032, did you say, before yeah. we even get well, one well, that, that, that That's the first suggestion. And by the way, that uh, boat would have to be built because I looked up the construction schedule. They currently build 1.6 boats per year, and they take five years to build. So if you put it... Um, it would have to be 2027 when we actually get the authorization. We'll have to put up the money because the, the reason we can get Block 4 is it was supposed to have 10 boats, but for budgetary reasons, the American Congress cut it back to six boats. Uh, they didn't have the money. So if we put up the money, we can probably get them. But I noticed that we're going to be paying premium dollar for them. If you want to look up any website and find out how much it costs to build a um uh, Virginia class, you'll find that we are paying way above uh, the normal rate that the Americans pay for their own boats. So one of the one of the things that might happen is that we end up getting a second-hand boat, one that's actually being sort of decommissioned from an earlier block. Because uh, don't tell me that uh, the project won't slip in some way. Look, I mean, there's a whole series of things wrong with this. Um, 
there's a chapter in uh, Michael Darby's book, Unchain Australia. And one of the questions, in fact, I wrote this particular chapter, I wrote in there and said, why are we having submarines? What is the strategic plan? One of Jim Molan's big things was we have no strategic plan. So where are we going to use these submarines? What are they going to be used for? What weapons are they going to have? They're going to be nuclear powered. Okay, so they can go faster underwater. But, but nuclear power has nothing to do with what they're actually designed to do, which is you know kill, destroy, sink other boats. Let me go back to the, the purpose of even having submarines. The Americans realized after World War II that submarines had passed their use-by date for hunting and killing convoys. I might have quoted this to you before, but the Germans lost two submarines every three days for 30 months. That's 632 submarines and the crews went to the bottom at the end of World War II. 632. So the Germans looked at that and thought, not the Germans, the Americans looked at that and thought, these are sort of outdated weapons. I mean, uh, we lost 54. The Japanese lost about 131. The Australians didn't have any. The British lost another 50. So th there seems to be a problem here. So they come up with the idea there's only two types of submarines you're going to have in the future. One is related to MAD, mutually assured, uh, assured destruction. So you can go and read Neville Schutz on the beach where they turn up after the nuclear war and find that there's nobody living in Melbourne, which has been the case since COVID, since COVID started. Um, but what you've got there is that you're either going to have them as a retaliatory weapon, or the second thing they wanted their submarines for was to hunt and kill Russian submarines. So it's either a hunter-killer killing submarines, or it's there to destroy the world. Now, we are going to do neither of that. We are going to say, well, the Germans had a great plan of attacking uh, convoys. We'll put together our submarines to attack enemy ships. And we'll stop the, the you know, perhaps the Chinese Navy from coming to Australia with our three submarines. Um, you really are in, a, in the type of thing that we're looking at is basically a one voyage. You might get two voyages. The average lifespan of a uh, German uh, submariner at the beginning of World War II was nine voyages. And Gunther Prince, who was the guy who got into Scapa Flow and sank the Royal Sovereign battleship, um, he realized that his seventh cruise was probably getting close to the limit. And in fact, he was uh, killed on that cruise. And he was, he was an absolute ace, one of the top uh, submariners for the whole war. But he went through that happy time and into the time when everybody kills submarines. More, more people have died in submarines now since the end of World War II than they've actually sunk in enemy ships. And, of course, the big su success was the Belgrano, a World War II battleship sank by the um, Conqueror, a British nuclear-powered submarine, which could travel faster and further underwater than um, the, any of the surface ships chasing it. So that's the only that's the only real success we have, the sinking of a, a World War II battleship in the Falklands. Okay, let's go back to that. So what's the purpose we want this thing for and where's it going to operate? The obvious answer is we're going to be operating in the South China Sea. That's a real problem because it's not deep enough. <clears throat> there are very few areas in the South China Sea that are deep enough for you to hide under what's called refraction. <clears throat> so if we manage to get there with a nuclear-powered submarine, we can stay for roughly about um, 30 to 40 days. And the only reason you have to leave sometime after that is because you need to uh, get food. 
It makes its own water, it makes its own oxygen, it makes everything else, but it can't make food. We're still not into the Starship Enterprise level of pushing the button <laughs> instead of a microwave. You know, out comes your, your uh, spaghetti bolognese. So even if we get these three, they're not going to turn the balance. And yet they are such an expensive weapon. I looked up the figure there, and although we, we're, we're celebrating that we've actually got this new unicorn, um, the cost over the next three decades, is, the next four decades, is expected to be $9 billion a year to total $368 billion. Wow. Wow. And, and here we are hoping that we're, we're going to get out of debt, mate. I am running out of time. Just very quickly, we've only got about 30 seconds. Yeah, and sure. not, not just that, but it's like doing a deal with the devil. We're going to be, we're not getting mates rates. We're surrendering somewhat of our military <laughs> sovereignty long term. We're forever going to be indebted to and under the control of the US military uh, in relation to our, our uh, naval vessels at that point. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. But there's a catch. You didn't realize that actually what it said was that um, we're actually using this as an interim step. We'll have these three boats and we might get five, but then we're looking at uh, building eight boats in Australia to a UK design. We've already paid over $3 billion to the uh, to Rishi Sunak to finish off the design of the next generation of British boats. And we're going to build these in Australia. We're going to have all these windmills producing high-quality electricity. No, right, <laughs> so you can I think, I think these things would actually have very poor welding on them if we try to build them in South Australia. So we are charging ahead with no strategic plan, paying top dollar for something that we don't even know if it's going to be useful in 2040. This is insanity. I mean, this is asylum level, um, you know, politics. Well, Alistair, that's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, this isn't going, going to end well. It is insanity. We can't afford it, quite simply, and we need to get out of debt. Mate, thank you for painting. Can, such I, can a, I have one last word? Yeah, you have to really, going, really quick. Yeah, we are not going to captain these boats. We're not going to have the weapons officers on them. We will not be allowed to fight them without American approval. Wow. Mate, the whole thing just sounds like a nightmare, but it's real, unfortunately. Alistair Pope, okay. thank you for painting such a very vivid picture of this catastrophe, this pending catastrophe, and that's what it is. And uh, we'll talk again at some point in the future. Everybody, Alistair Pope, absolute legend, legend and a man who's written the book, quite literally, on that. We're going to be back with Paul McGowan here at TNT on the other side of the break. Stick around. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. In a shocking development that surprised no one, Hunter Biden failed to show up for his congressional deposition today. Moreover, California Representative Eric Swalliswell aided and abetted Hunter thumbing his nose at the Congress by working with Hunter's attorney so Hunter could avoid testifying. Will Hunter be held in contempt of Congress? Well, if so, so what? So was Eric Holder, nothing was done. But you see, when Democrats are in charge and they hold somebody in contempt of Congress, well, their door gets busted down, they get taken out at 5 a.m. with CNN there to broadcast the whole proceedings, the way Roger Stone, Steve Bannon, and Alex Jones were treated. Will Hunter be treated the same way? <laughs> you funny man, of course he won't. But if there's any justice in the world, Santa won't be bringing Hunter another laptop this Christmas. 
From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Many pollution sources can affect the air you breathe. From power plants and vehicles to dust and wildfires. Knowing more about local air quality can help you protect your health. If you're thinking about buying an air sensor, EPA has a series of videos to help you get the most out of it. Learn how EPA collects and uses regulatory data, how EPA communicates health messaging, and how to interpret the readings from your sensor. Visit epa.gov air sensor toolbox. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It really is my pleasure to have my next guest. His name is Paul McGowan. He is a fearless, and he really is a fearless, cancelled British artist. He's a fashion prodigy. He challenges the establishment with his edgy, politically charged artworks, a trailblazer in merging art innovation and heart-hitting social commentary to the point where he was banned from Twitter, the old Twitter. They're working very hard, as am I, and all of you should be as well, to get him back on Twitter because he says the truth and he does, he gets it out there in not just words, but other forms as well. And even the band or the group, right, said, Fred, remember that I'm too sexy for my, no, I'm not going to sing it. But uh, even they are on there imploring people like Elon Musk to get the likes of, and then specifically Paul McGowan back onto X.com. I hope to see him there, but we've got him right here, right now. Paul McGowan, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hello, TNT. Mate, I'll tell you what, you you do the right thing. You're getting the truth out there. How do we know that? Because you're getting cancelled, and that's what happens. It's literally, I'm known as the most cancelled person there is on the internet. I've got no social media. I've got nothing. I've got one account that they missed, and I don't post on it because I have to refer clients to it all the time because it's got all my work on it. And if they found out it was mine, they would just delete it because the company that own it banned me across all their platforms, you know, as a dangerous person. Um, I'm a dangerous person or organisation, apparently, but all I used to make was memes and write little articles about what's really going on in the world, things like Ukraine war and things like what's going on in Ireland now, you know, you know, who are the far right Varadka wants to punish, you know, Ireland has crossed the Rubicon, you know, it's, it's like, it's never going to be the same again. All these new laws they're bringing in like facial recognition, facial recognition has been considered like a, a quite a racist technology for ages now, isn't it? Cause it, cause it constantly misidentifies black people as the criminals. They constantly have to let them go. So I'm sure black people are not going to be that that happy about so much more um, facial recognition going up all over Ireland. And what are these um, hate speech laws? And who do they really target? Who are the far right? Because um, everyone's far right. Um, everyone's far <laughs> yeah. right today. It's, it's ridiculous. And I'm going to read you um, a couple of Vradka quotes from the last couple of weeks, right? Yep. We need laws to be able to go after them individually. They are to blame. We are going to get them. Then he said, we are a country of migrants. If it wasn't for migrants, this country would be a vastly inferior place. Now, who's he actually talking to? And I can tell you who he's talking to. He's talking to the indigenous Irish people. And he's basically saying to them, shut up. You put up with it. You voted for it, which they did, and they deserve it. They voted for it. I mean, why are you voting for that? And they voted for it, and now they're going to have to reap the whirlwind because um, it's going to kick off in Ireland. It's going to kick oh, off. Yeah, yeah big um, time. 
The Irish government still haven't denied, um, defined the bill and what hatred is, saying defining the bill could risk um, um, future prosecutions. Well, surely that's like saying if people are going into a situation, they're not defining the law, they could break the law, but they don't want to tell them because they want them to break the law because they want to have all these arrest, arrests of just normal everyday people by calling them far right for just giving an opinion on absolutely anything. You know, one person's hate speech is another person's legitimate concern. You know, how long will it be before scepticism is totally illegal? Um, you can go to prison for texts the state deem unacceptable and the courts won't care because it's intended to be disruptive. You know, how do you did, how do you, how can you prosecute somebody for a personal text? How, whether you distribute that text or not, just your own personal notes. It can be your notes on a computer, an idea, anything that's found now you could be arrested for in Ireland. And that's just absolutely ridiculous. You know, Paul, I can't believe not only is it not about what you say, it's about what you're looking at, what you're reading. They can come in, confiscate your laptop, probably kick down your front door. But I'll tell you what, they've definitely picked the wrong country. If you're going to pick a country in Western Europe, in fact, if I could go back 10 years and pick the one country that I thought would kick off the first in Western Europe, it would always have been Ireland. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. But you never know how people are going to react. I was shocked at the way Australians reacted over COVID because that was just a massive nonsense. And the propaganda we got coming in from Australia was all the Australians love the lockdown. Love lockdown. But I knew that's not true because no. I know it's not true because I know so many Australians. And I used to live I, look, right now. I'm down in Cornwall. I used to live here. I used to be a full time surfer when I was younger. I used to live with loads of Aussie surfers. I know what they're like. They're totally rebellious people. There's no way in the world they would have sat down and be cucked and said, oh, I love lockdown. But the propaganda the West got from Australia was yeah Australia they're really into it and nobody likes it the people who don't want to take the jab and I'm like yeah I was speaking to my friends you know I'm there going no nah, that is not what's going on that is not what's going on so you know there's been um, there's been a big pushback on everything but you know the legacy media they they are just such liars <laughs> they are they lie over everything you know they totally twist the narrative and and, and people are, have got no idea what's true and what's not true. And, uh, well, we know what's true, but it's, it's getting normal, everyday people The switch on the BBC. So we've got all the legacy media, media CNN, all of it. We just, it's those are the people that are actually, they are starting to wake up now. Well, I'm going to talk about Conor, Conor McGregor, and I'm going to draw a parallel with Donald Trump because they both were big celebrities before they got political. Now, I do realise that he's not probably considering becoming uh, running in politics over there, but could you imagine if Conor McGregor decided to stand, I think it would be absolutely a whitewash. I think he'd get in and people are looking to get rid of Leo Varadkar, that's for sure, especially after this, especially now that the native uh, Indigenous Irish people know that he hates them. So um, yeah. I, I would love to see that happen. I would personally love to see the likes of Conor McGregor or somebody very like him. Uh, and some people could argue he's a bit extreme. I think that might be exactly what Ireland needs. I think Conor McGregor, right? That's a, it's a, it's a, I did not expect him to stand up, but he did, and fair play to him. And 
And once he stood up, loads of other Irish people are standing up because they do not want to. They didn't even like the British being there. They don't want the whole world dumped in there. And let's be honest, the people that are going there, they are not doctors. They are not nurses. They're not all these things that we keep getting told. They are. If you go across the channel with a dinghy and you're throwing your paperwork away, one, it's so easy to get into the UK up until recently that the entry level for finance was minimum wage. All you had to find was a job was minimum wage, just above minimum wage it was. They've only just changed it. Hey, I've got to ask about the, you know, the immigration. The You've got no qualifications whatsoever. And if you throw your papers away, what qualifications you do have are then useless because you're not under your real name. So your education cannot be checked. So you're here as undocumented under a different name with no qualifications, no checks. But all you can do is basic work. But they're not coming here for basic work, are they? They're not coming here as refugees. They're coming here to work in the black economy. That's the whole point of it. That's why they all absconded at the first opportunity, you know. Um, so Varadkar wants to take in so much migration, like most of the left-wing countries do. And when I say left-wing countries, I consider the British Conservative Party left-wing now. They are totally, they're a bunch of commies, as far wow. as I'm concerned. Wow. Yeah. And, oh, they're absolutely useless. They get rid of everyone like Suella, who we really loved, people yeah. you know, who were passionate about Britain, you know, that love Britain, they'll get rid of them and they're just a bunch of WEF serving puppets and I can't stand them. And look, I'm fully expecting the police to start knocking down my door again because I've had it all. I've had the police raid my house, I've had them take my computers, I've had the lot. I had 21 stop and searches, they broke my right hand, they retired me basically. I had three years having my right hand reconstructed after the police arrested me. Three years in plaster. You know what it's like being in a plaster for three years and they take it off six operations, months and months in hospital. My hand still doesn't work at all. My thumb's bone grafted onto my side finger. It's just for show. I'm an artist. I have to hold a pen. I can't do it anymore. So I'm fully expecting the police to come after me again because I've been doing a lot of speaking out over the last year on a lot of shows from Nigel Farage to Upper Iconic with David Icke and Gareth Icke and all these different shows, lots of um, Hearts of Oak, loads of things. And um, it's only a matter of time. But at the moment, I'm on holiday, so they can't find me, sir. Sodom. Yeah. Paul, Paul McGowan, I love that you talk out because I've heard it described recently as our silence, our rank cowardice that has got us to this point. If all of us had been uh, just a little bit more outspoken, maybe two or three decades ago, we wouldn't find ourselves in the situation we're in. Those who spoke up, who predicted, and it was simple math that would have seen us uh, at where we are now, possibly a little bit sooner than some expected, but certainly well and truly on the way to what was very predictable in the course. Mate, if you were running a betting agency, what odds would you give yourself of getting back onto X.com, formerly known as Twitter? Zero, because I (laughs) I totally believe I was 77th brigaded. And um, because it is the manner they come for me. First of all, is bank accounts. This is my business account, my card net, which I, I, I pushed all my life. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be an artist. I had loads and loads of galleries. I still got my galleries. I still stay tight with them. But they can't put my work out because I'm banned and they can get their accounts banned. So it's really difficult for them as well. But I'm glad that the ones I have, especially London West Bank Gallery, standing by me, um, and even like my friends that are not scared to speak out, like like the Freds, you know, because let's be honest, Richard and Fred out rock starred all the rock stars during COVID. They literally were the most outspoken musicians on the planet. 
And who expected that from Richard and Fred? But they found their vocation now and they're out uh, there. They're just storming it, you know? Well, I, I love that. I love that there's people out there like you. I wish there were more because we wouldn't find ourselves in the situation where, mate, we've run out of time. Paul McGowan, I thank you very much. You're always welcome on TNT Radio, mate. I can tell you that. Thanks, Dean. Thank you. That's Paul McGowan, everybody. If you can find him on the internet, some way, somehow, reach out, advocate. You get onto Elon Musk's page and say, we want Paul McGowan back. We also want Katie Hopkins. She's coming up after this. Have a great weekend. I'll catch you next week.